Welcome back to another episode of Epsilon Reporting on air, on air, on air, on air. And we're back. What's up, Tyler? How you doing, man? Oh, I am doing well. How are you, sir? Wow, you like continued that mid-rip like surprisingly well. Well, you know, that's what happens when you practice. Yeah, right? It, it makes perfect. Listen up, kids. You can you can master whatever you want. But uh, so basically a little bit of a conversation that we were starting just before recording is uh, I was talking about the Irish, which I love the Irish. And I think a lot of times people idealize the uh, and romanticize the Irish because they are they like embody rebellion hmm. and body not being able to be contained. And I also do that. I absolutely love the Irish. I have, like, Irish flag, all that stuff. Sure, sure. But in actuality, I think that's partially... That is why a lot of the people romanticize the Irish, but also because they identify with the Irish. Mm-hmm. But in actuality, if, if that was the main reason why you love the Irish, you should romanticize the Vietnamese. They were, uh-huh. like, if you look back at Vietnamese culture, mm-hmm. it was, I, I mean, same thing with Irish. Like, you had the, uh, the Celts, uh, and they were, like, attacked by the Romans, and then uh, they, sure. Celts developed into the Scottish, British, and then, yeah, kind of progressed from there. That, that is a few, like, a lot, a uh, history of generational oppression. Uh, but if you look at uh, Vietnam... It was like oppressed by the Chinese, the Japan, uh, the Japan, uh, French, uh, the U.S., the uh, China again after uh, we left Vietnam. Like they have spent a good portion of their existence once gaining independence from Vietnam or uh, from China, uh, just fighting people out of their land successfully, incredibly successfully. Well, yeah, when you when you have something to fight for you're pretty motivated to get it done like I think if if anybody could say that when your homeland is on the line things are a little bit different you know mm-hmm. I mean numbers and you know money and all those things certainly come into play every time and you know wars have their winners and losers but I think the thing about Vietnam that they're never gonna even if they lost they weren't going to lose the culture war like that was their place mm-hmm. and there's yeah. nothing anyone could do like the uh the Viet Cong like the the guerrilla fighters were doing better than the NBC North Vietnamese Army uh NVA and um yeah it, it's almost weird that like as they became structured and maybe it was just poor leadership they lost uh, a degree of their their efficacy like uh the un uh organized just purely passionate uh, almost necessity mm-hmm. um because probably also when you got into the uh, nva they had um like uh, it, it was like localized or centralization you're pulling troops from different provinces all all kinds of stuff to mm-hmm. like fight for vietnam sure and that that notion was probably i think it resonated with a lot of farmers stuff like that but at the same time like uh not to the same degree as like an american or like a russian like we see this entire country 
sometimes if shit hits the fan, oftentimes mm-hmm. we're like, oh, thank God we're not in Alabama or something like that. Like any individual state has like weird right. infighting. But, yeah, uh, the United States certainly has a awareness of its own empire. Yeah. And with in Vietnam, you, you have this guy that's like, this valley is mine. And I think that like he'll fight or she'll fight uh, to a level that is unfathomable. Uh, for that valley and there's nowhere like else to go yeah you and can't go home after that's home yeah there there's no history for you your ancestors outside of that valley outside of this small area so uh i don't know it's a it's a fascinating conflict man i mean and you see history unfortunately repeat itself with military action in afghanistan specifically i mean our military has been in Afghanistan for the better part of 20 years and can we say that we've made a lot of progress can we say fundamentally that we've changed the way that Afghanistan operates or that we've you know done anything as a net positive there no because we were never intended as a as a country as a military force to go in there and solve problems for that mm-hmm. so you know I think that we see the same thing that happened in Vietnam these people see a foreign power coming in and before us it was Russia in Afghanistan they see people coming into their home that don't belong people coming in to extract something that isn't theirs and it's a very simple thing but you know all of the political sidestepping and you know excuses they they don't cover up the simple facts you know what can anybody say that we've done there that's good yeah, I mean, it, I'm sure there's different metrics, and that would actually be fascinating to look into. Like, you could look into GDP, something like that, um, and or even all the way down to any any culture uh, has different elements that are kind of, like, stifling, mm-hmm. and um, definitely ours. But I, I think there, in different parts of the world, there's a degree of, like, uh, possibly if you apply a, a, a few layers of logic and reason to it, uh, strongly unethical views for sex with minors. And um, I think that uh, there's been a lot of, you could argue that we busted a lot of like human trafficking rings in the Middle East that would have gone on for much longer if we weren't there. Sure. But in the same, as I said that, you could also say that... Um, kind of like what's going on at the at the border with those uh the camps for the uh caravans that the chaos the the sheer chaos uh opens up opportunity for human trafficking like you've heard about people south uh south of the border or right in the border in the u.s like an immense amount of children going missing Mm -hmm. stuff like that where like just no one knows where these kids went yeah and uh, yeah, so, and that's and that's kind of the thing too is you know when you talk about people taking advantage of mayhem, it goes both ways. Like when the United States invaded Iraq, 
you know, it wasn't like the fanciest country in the whole world, but they had a pretty entrenched society going on there. And once the bombs started falling and the chaos ensued, there was just the the sheer amount of collateral damage just overwhelms any sense of mission that occurs. And there's, you know, there's just this, uh, this feeling that all of these actions are done to destabilize, not to, you know, not to do what they say they're doing, which is generally the exact opposite. Yeah, I think that uh, it, those people that we were allegedly trying to help, and often in some instances did genuinely help, they kind of like what we were talking about Vietnam. There's like a degree of like expansion for what you fold into your identity. And so when those people see us bombing the shit out of somewhere, they don't take into account the entire picture, the whole picture. And, uh, and like I said, I, just to clarify, I don't think anyone would read this out of the subtext or anything, but I'm not saying like, oh, they should be happy or we're doing a lot of stuff for them. They just don't understand that we're helping them out. No, because there's like any kind of statistic of, uh, like, I, I can't recall the exact one. It was similar to this, but we were like trying to kill, uh, uh take out like 16 or like 46 less than 50 uh targets in pakistan Mm -hmm. and we ended up uh killing like 1100 people through Mm -hmm. drone strikes yeah civilians like for the most part and and the thing is is those kinds of things get swept under the rug so easily while people like think about it for the last four fucking years you have people oh trump is so racist and all of you know people are dying on his watch and like you know people want to you know kind of get a little bit like cute with it like oh he's the orange cheeto man you know let's let's mock him and that'll show him it's like no there's like serious political implications here and like people's lives are on the line on a daily basis like i don't know it, i i personally no, didn't see him as anything but an extension of the you know the basically the real estate class the upper crust of the real estate class the people who make a lot of money in there and he wanted business as usual, and that's why, for the most part, a lot of people voted for him and wanted it that way. So, I don't know. Until people start to understand that we're not we're not calling any of these shots. Like it's not like the people get to vote on whether we go to war. Like mm-hmm. you know, we just need to get a better grasp on like what we can actually affect, and if we can't affect things, well, I saw this reevaluate. Uh... I saw this fascinating graph of, um, well, real fast to clarify, I don't think a lot of people voted for Trump to uh, uh, maintain the status quo. I think they saw him as shaking things up, but in actuality, he just, like, deregulated things, which... I think a lot of swing voters, I would argue that you're right, but keep in mind, there's a lot of conservatives that looked at Trump and said, oh, you know what, actually... When I look at my values, he's not going to change things for me that much. I think they thought that he was going to change things as in like a course correction of uh, a strong 
liberal kind of growing uh, sentiment in the U.S. Like there's an old mm. um, old saying, which is uh, Goliath slouches left or something like that. And it, it basically means that the government kind of slowly leans more and more left. And, um, and so I think they saw that and wanted everything switched around. But in actuality, there was just deregulation but also like weird stuff like the tariffs you know why do i feel like a government spook came up with that saying you know they're like oh the government's always gonna lean left so we gotta you know do some things to to balance the power out here Mm -hmm. because you know goliath leans left i'm like are you goddamn kidding me like goliath leans far to the right if you see what we do with our look at our budget we cut we cut taxes for everybody in the like the upper millionaire class and billionaire class, and then we spend all the money that we do have on wars and ineffectual things. We didn't spend enough money on pandemic response. Everybody got a one-time check of twelve hundred dollars. Thanks, government. Mm-hmm. It's like it's it's just so you know. I don't buy it. Goliath does not slouch to the left. He slouches, but that's just because he's a lazy asshole. But, you know. I, that, you bring up a good point. Yeah, the military-industrial complex, but a lot of that isn't self-encapsulated on the right side. A lot of, if you follow the money, a lot of influence has come from the left, or Democrats. Well, Democrats, for sure. The left, I don't really believe is represented in electoral politics in america they want to be yeah the democrats trying. have like They're hijacked trying. the voice of the left and yeah it, i mean this is kind of goes in a, a different direction which we could cover later but i think definitely the the right and the left they're like synonymous or well rather the uh democrats, democrats and republicans, republicans. Yeah. yeah they represent the corporate class yeah yeah the interests mm-hmm. and um but so to to go back to what we were talking about earlier in Afghanistan, that, that was the the last uh, geopolitical location we left off on. I think uh, you were mentioning before us, it was the Soviets. Oh yeah. Before the Soviets, it was the British, and I think it's fascinating that so many of these, like this House of Cards, is built up predominantly from imperialism. Mm-hmm. That, like, a lot of the reason why we have these, like, weird genocides uh, and uh, any number of these conflicts, these terrorist actions, is because oftentimes uh, it, the boundaries, these, like, arbitrary uh, borders were drawn with incredibly little consideration to the populace. Oh, yeah. And the populace's identity. And how, uh, like... Uh, basically, the the British promised uh, the Palestinian and the uh, and Israelis and like a few other tribes land that if they were to help during World War II, they would give them land. And this was kind of like a hail mary because they did not think they were going to win at this point. And we won, and so they're like, oh, "Well, let's, let's carve the shit out of this place." And like, if you look at like the borders, it's super janky, jagged, and yeah, like, I don't think anybody would have designed the Gaza Strip on purpose. Yeah. You know, like, like, like with enough foresight to know what the fuck was about to happen. Yeah, that design wouldn't have happened organically. <laughs> or, like, same kind of deal with, the, uh, with Africa. You have these instances where generation after generation, and generation not of individuals, uh, but also the government, are just 
poor uh, and corrupt. And it's such an uphill battle for a lot of these countries because if you look at the infrastructure, which the infrastructure is, it's always something, it's almost like internet protocol, something, mm-hmm. something like that. It, like if so many people are using it, it's hard to revamp and like start with a new uh, code system, new language, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so in a lot of African countries, you have these roads, this infrastructure that is built up around mines to airports mines to docks like extraction infrastructure and so it's so hard for people to even get around town to town everything else has fallen into disrepair right and kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier that local identity not seeing themselves as part of the country i think that's part of the reason why there's this incredibly rampant level of corruption everyone's they, they don't see them robbing everyone's money they don't see them robbing their countrymen's money. They see them as robbing the money of the people down the street who they don't really identify with, on occasion trade with, something like that. I think that has been extrapolated to a country scale mm-hmm. out of like a tribal mindset. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we definitely try to apply like smaller politics to a bigger scale and every time fail because it's just so impossible to to fraction that much you know like like they're I'm not necessarily advocating for like authoritarian top down type of thing but like consensus is important to be reached somehow yeah I don't know how it would like changes because so much almost like uh, they're entrenched in that ideology that at this point might equals right because uh and human life is very cheap and all of those were basically taught to them by imperialistic dutch germans french british any number of other countries that were like so i've talked to people and they have a downright racist approach to the culture in africa they're like it's so backwards what the hell i'm like this is all language of what imperialistic countries taught them that it's okay if your youth roll into a fire used to boil down sugarcane. It will get another one. And Jeez. It's crazy. I, I saw one time that uh, a nice saying that ecology is the study of unintended consequences. And That's I think interesting. you see a lot of that in, well, in geopolitical, uh, but also like it, law enforcement, like trying to contain things. I'm sure you've seen where uh, in like Detroit, mm-hmm. Detroit, like crime hit the fan as we had these organized attacks against these high up gang members. And as soon as there is that immense power vacuum, mm-hmm. all of a sudden all these little guys started infighting. Where in the past that like was self established order. Sure, yeah. Yeah, people knew, people knew their niche in that ecosystem, and once one specific domino gets toppled down, and obviously law enforcement knows this thing too. I mean, they've been doing this tactic for years and years. Once the right domino gets knocked down, then, like you said, it turns into infighting because there's a lack of leadership and there's also a lack of consensus. So people start to fraction to different groups where, oh, we want this and we want this. Whereas, you know, just maybe like last week, they both wanted this other thing, which wasn't even 
this, you know, what they've decided now. So, yeah, changes in goals, but also fighting over turfs because with like a an established <laughs> crime syndicate, Jesus Christ, it sounds like I'm arguing for organized crime. But uh, with an established crime syndicate, you have, at a certain level, it has to be run almost like a business. You have to make sure people are happy. You're, you have to make sure that crime doesn't get out of control. Well, you know Otherwise, why that is. Well, they're going to get cracked down. No. What? It's because all of that criminal activity still revolves around money. Mm. That's why. If this criminal activity, you know, if people were, like, criminally producing drugs and then, like, bartering them for something else in, like, the wilderness somewhere, like, people wouldn't even know or care about it. It's because it's all involved in this money system which already exists. And because it's almost like a hack, if you think about it, because... For example, like in regular people life, right? Like you work a normal job, you make a salary, like that salary is all the money that you make and you know, you're kind of in this tax bracket. But when you're like making money illegally, like if you had a crime syndicate going on or whatever, now you've got a lot of money. And that is like like I said, like a hack because where you're used to operating has now expanded tremendously and your ability to do things has expanded tremendously and so you become a target if you don't do something worthwhile with it you know it's like the people who win the lottery like half of them end up spending it all right away because they don't understand like when you have that much money it's more it's almost a burden because if you don't do something with it then the vultures come you know Wait, uh, what are you saying? That, like, the reason we cared about, and we being law enforcement, I guess, um, the reason why law enforcement wanted to disrupt this is because of the money that they're making? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely nothing else to do with, like, public health or trying to, like, keep people safe or anything like that. It all revolves around money. I think money is a big one. Uh, But I also think it's optics. Because you can't have... You get into this weird almost paradox territory where it would have been beneficial for almost everyone involved to leave those organized crime uh, syndicates alone Uh, but uh, or like made sure that it was contained to some degree but instead with taking out upper leadership taking out all that that led to power vacuum chaos infighting drive-bys people were getting killed yeah, there were. They, it just became a bloodier thing. But right, the but they weren't time, trying to prevent violence. Well, at the same time, this is where I was talking about optics. Is that you? If everyone knows there's a gang, yeah, and they know they're breaking the law, and I guess yeah, to to your point, if everyone knows they're making a shit ton of money to get reelected as a politician, you would need to do something about it. You would need to address it. Even though it would be better for everyone involved if it was contained to a similar level that it had been in the past, that would increase your your numbers, your approval rating to handle like the elephant in the room. So yeah, there's definitely two parts. It is the money, but it's also what does a to an extent uninformed population want? Well, but that's the thing too is now 
by by putting that responsibility on just like public opinion you're ignoring the fact that public opinion is absolutely shaped by like think about it if the if the police are going after a gang um there's a lot of things that would happen too like you don't think that they would be talking to the papers too and be like hey make sure you're running some stories so that we can like there's this this whole web of infrastructure around um, how the cops deal with crime and how they deal with it differently. So when you say, like, it would be better for all people involved, it just depends on who's actually running the particular law enforcement agency, you know, whoever's coming to crack it down. For example, a lot of small towns in America are absolutely fine with organized crime because they benefit from it because it's a small town. There's not a lot of other money or things coming in and out besides that kind of black market commerce but when you're when you're looking into kind of like larger cities and bigger populations and things like that it's like i said it comes back to the money is once people find that niche in there and they're like shit you know i can just you know order a huge x amount of whatever i'm selling and sell it and make a t- way more money than I would have anywhere else it's always about that money halibut that's when it becomes a problem for politicians and law enforcement because they want a bigger piece of that money and public opinion only comes into play because most people are like convinced that drugs are really bad and that they should be illegal and you know that's definitely not you know, by accident. It's not like politicians and law enforcement haven't been selling people that for years. But that's how people feel for the most part, although this has been changing, as you can see, in Oregon and across the country as decriminalization of uh, drug possession of any kind is starting to appear in the law books, which it's been a long fucking time coming. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That uh, that public opinion on uh, on drugs, stuff like that. I, I am also glad that it's loosening. But um, to your point, yeah, I do agree that it is part of money uh, because that that's kind of why like it took so long in a lot of different states for weed to be legalized is because before they could just legalize it, uh, a framework of how the state could profit off of it had to be established first. Certain. It wasn't just, hey, go legalize it. Like, they, they say that it was Not just that profit, regulated. but control, because they want to, like, in Colorado, they want to make sure that they know every everything that's being legally sold from, like, seed to sale. Mm-hmm. So it's not just that they want to make their cut, but they want to make sure that they know every cent that you're making. That way, their cut never changes or they're not missing out on anything. I do appreciate regulation. For instance, like um, certain regulation. For instance, I'm sure there's a lot of people that had smoked some like rough chemicals that someone was spraying down their weed plants with and didn't give a shit about the end user. Mm -hmm. And same kind of thing that if that's another area that I'm hoping that uh, that the mass sentiment kind of slowly changes on, which is sex work. I I think that it should be legal, but also uh, heavily regulated. And that way, no one gets extorted. That's the same kind of logic behind why you can't sell an organ. Is because if you could sell an organ, someone would find a way to put the... To uh, get organs somehow. Yeah, or like force you to sell it. 
force you to sell right. it and then immediately collect that money. And there's somebody like would that. just be collecting organs like a mad yeah, like, oftentimes, rogue surgeon. Yeah, because it's interesting to think about it, but like people uh, people get extorted to the extent that they can be extorted. Sure. So yeah. if you open up this new area, if you make if you increase the dollar sign that each person represents you also increase the level of extortion. So, well, yeah, every market needs to have a seller and a buyer. Mm. There's a lot of people who would very much shun the idea of buying organs on the black market because they're like, oh my god. But, like, what if it was you? You know, what if you needed a fucking kidney and, you know, it's time to buy a fucking kidney? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's, you that know. That represents a chance where uh, a chance compared to certainty. Well, yeah. That you're gonna die, yeah. It's uh, it's fascinating stuff. I was thinking about um, so many people struggle with depression, and a lot of times that depression comes from a feeling that they cannot make a change, make a difference. And I'm not necessarily saying that this should exist, but rather as a thought experiment of like, what if it did exist? Uh, what if people could well one what if suicide was totally legal and physician assisted suicide was commonplace and with that we uh you could go and basically have all of your body parts you utilized the vast majority and that way if you were plagued with and definitely maybe there could be like a process where you had to prove to the doctor that you had taken steps to improve your life but what if, if those steps were taken, you still felt like shit, you felt like you weren't doing anything, you were a huge burden, you could do this thing and know for sure that you were helping out uh, a number of people, like making a life-impacting change in their life. <laughs> Brought to you by the word life. Well, I mean, I guess that comes down to trust. Do you... Do you trust the the system? I mean, I would I would be very curious to see how that plays out over the long term. Um, it, it it just evokes um, memories of movies like Repo. I don't know if you've heard mm -hmm. of that, the genetic opera, Little Glass Vial. Yeah. yeah, but um, God, yeah, but uh, but you know, once we start to um, and it's an inevitability in my opinion, once we start to flex the kind of boundaries that we had previously set for like oh, well, we'll, we'll think or discuss about this moral ambiguity later down the line in human existence like eventually those things get talked about and done. So like everything that's taboo to think about like, you know AI merging with human brains or genetic manipulation or all of these kinds of things, you know, while it's frightening sci-fi to us now, um, it's going to be the kind of science where people are studying and get really fucking bored with all of the work that they have to do and then eventually it's going to end up paying off by, you know, helping people who are sick or prolonging life or, you know, improving life for a lot of people. So Hell yeah. Yeah, at one point it was taboo to have too many beats per minute in your music. Like the the Catholic Church was like, That's enough. Yeah, let's Oh man, well thank God they're no longer running the record companies. Yeah. That's what you think, uh, lizard eyes blink. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I could always go for some Gregorian chant. Just it's it's very uh, very Zen. 
Yeah. Yeah, and like no. it's super easy to match with like your tor- torquing style. Oh my god, you can like and if you play with the BPM, I mean, you can really like get some freaky echoey weirdness going yeah. on. Oh my god, absolutely. It all blends together. But um so another thing, I, I don't mean to jump around, but um so going back jump to up, you, jump up to get jump down. Jump around. Jump around. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so to go back to what you were saying about like I don't know if you were saying this directly but kind of to recap sure. uh, the uh, we care about drugs and we care about stopping time and we being the general populace uh, because of the media and the way we're influenced by the reporting and uh, so <clears throat> that kind of creates a, a self-perpetuating machine. Well, it's it's a suggestion, I would say. It's it's kind of similar to like a hypnosis, right? It's not really necessarily true, but it's a perception and it's not one that you can verify, so you're kind of just believing it because you've heard it. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's I like that. But it's a suggestion that you kind of, you know, you kind of agree with unintentionally. And that's what I wanted to discuss because it almost sounds like you feel like it was done intentionally. Like it was organized. It was orchestrated. What do you mean? That the different ways we feel are painstakingly uh, and artfully organized. Well, I mean, that's just the brain, though. You know, that is... Like, probably the best way I'd describe the brain is artful and painstaking, you know, because it's so, like, it's organic, but it's so complicated it's, it's to, like, reproduce or, you know, succinctly understand. Yeah, I think that um, that's not exactly what I was saying, uh, but to address that real fast, I had this thought the other day that, um, like, the fact that we make things harder than it needs to be. That like that's part of what we do. We just social interactions. We're like, oh, that's weird. That's gonna be awkward. Or like, we just make things way harder than they need to be, which is a definite con. However, I think that that same, maybe it's even romanticism. That same degree of extrapolating and like growing meaning out of something. Like to sum it up with an old saying: make a mountain out of a molehill. That that leads to a lot of our suffering but that also leads to neural networks that leads to planes that leads to to governing bodies that can support uh research in subatomic particles like sure sure like the romanticism that we possess leads to our suffering but it also leads to what makes this life amazing to live in this this year this decade well i mean i I guess i would argue that i don't think you need to romanticize our world to appreciate it in the same fullness but i would also say that to me suffering i mean in in a sense it does come from your expectations like in in a large degree um even in the most severe, you know, cases, I expected to eat food. I don't have any fucking food. I'm really fucking hungry and I'm starving to death. You know, your expectations are not quite met there, you know? Yeah. I guess to define my own terminology that I'm using here, Mm -hmm. romanticism for me, what it means Mm -hmm. is a deviation from objective truth. 
Okay. And so when I say romanticism, I don't mean like like get real poetic and love it. I just mean that deviation, that building and applying value that isn't inherently there. So in the sense of like, we shouldn't suffer the same way that we shouldn't be happy. Like a star doesn't suffer or is happy. Uh, but the fact that we're able to apply concepts that aren't baked into reality to stuff that that is our that is our cross to bear but it's also our gift i think that if we didn't imagine or think of a world in which we could communicate across countries uh we, if we didn't romanticize in, in my kind of semi-warped version of the word romanticize uh we wouldn't have uh, international internet. We wouldn't have high-speed internet where you can communicate with anyone across the world, but we also wouldn't have, on a interpersonal level, the constant tormenting thoughts of your spouse cheating on you, or something like that. Well, I mean, like, our limitations are really only where the edges of our imagination are. So, you know, all things good, bad, and in between, that we can even, you know... Anything that we can conjure up in our mind, anything that we can, you know, imagine at all, is has some sort of basis in reality. Like, there's, it's not like, like, even like the most fictional thing that you can think of, like, there's, there's somebody trying to figure it out at the, you know, at the bottom of it, you know? Well, that gets into a concept that I call mental bureaucracy, that yes, anything that we think of, anything that exists is based in reality, like has to be, uh, but at the same time, it's less based, uh, less based with the natural state of reality. And the only reason why we can think of teleporters is because we've thought of high-speed travel. We've thought of all these other things that deviated from the, the natural truth, and we've, we've built, we've engineered, we've problem-solved our way into some form of transportation. Uh, and then from there, we've built a new concept on top of that, and a new concept on top of that. So you're saying it's like foundational, that we inspire ourselves and we look to our past for the, for the inspiration of what we do in the future. Yeah, like there, absolutely. There's a like perpetual motion that that doesn't exist. There's a concept of perpetual motion engine that it's a like a self-contained system with uh, like a series of uh, of like bolts and springs that launches and releases and like the inertial uh, energy of this thing launching from the base of this self-contained package hitting the top lifts it up which it would do once but then it slowly comes down and then happens again and so basically this this pod uh jumps up uh, kind of sits in the air as it resets and then jumps up again as it launches but that's not taking into consideration for every action there's an equal opposite reaction yeah. uh, at the second jump it would immediately fall back down and that we basically do that except we don't have the laws of nature so we are uh, perpetual motion of concepts. We've once we've lifted off the ground that one time, we have no equal opposite reaction. We have simply the next propulsion. Well, yeah, I mean, it could be that it's just a bad idea. It, oftentimes, <laughs> it is a bad idea. Like I said, unintended consequences. I mean, and that's kind of part of like 
where we go back to like the romanticism it's like oh wouldn't it be nice if we could just have our cake and eat it too you know what i mean like wouldn't it be nice it would be nice but when you like look at it then it's like not possible I guess the argument could be made, and this gets a little, like, metaphysical, of, like, uh, if you wanted to, like, hijack my metaphor, is that maybe we are still stuck in the first jump. Maybe we're halfway through the first jump. And uh, because if you look around, it looks a lot like us having our cake and eating it, too. And uh, there are a lot of, like, social fabric tears that you see with people feeling more and more isolated. But you could... You could say, oh, that's, we, in other ways, we have our cake and eat it too. Like the pure amount of access, the, the pure access that we have to food. That's that's amazing. That's never been seen in the history well, of like the Well, like in the first world. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. But um, I guess you could say, if you wanted to stretch it out, that that's just the beginning. And like, what if we develop some sort of technology or some sort of... Uh, weapon or something that like erases everything back to step one and then if you zoomed out on that scale you'd be like all of that was the first jump all of that was the first stage that we're not actually perpetually well projecting ourselves further into this mental bureaucracy i don't know it's hard to that's hard to say it's very it's a very visual metaphor yeah, and I feel like without having this, like, perpetual motion thing that I'm thinking of, it's hard to see. For a second there, I thought you were going to say, like, things that make you say, huh? And uh, I was just thinking it would be hilarious if that's how I ended podcasts. And then just, huh, things huh. that make you say, huh. <laughs> and then, end. That would be good, yeah. I think it's important to have a catchphrase. Yeah. It's well, definitely, I mean, I, I, I don't know if you've tried any out or if you have any that up your sleeve that you go to, like, howdy, howdy, howdy. It's a uh, K-Man in the house once again. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. Introductory catchphrase? I'm just imagining that a podcast would be essentially just a radio DJ show, but on a computer. Yeah. Where you're just pretending like it's live, like it's just being broadcast to the world, even if it's just a recording. Yeah, I I love that, and actually I want to get like better at the software where I can do uh, almost like compression, like where uh, compression on like drums or something. If you want a drum to sound like something, you don't have to edit each drum strike. You can just apply a certain degree of compression and a type of compression, and you can get the drum sound that you like. Like for instance, the the iconic 80s like that like really interesting sound wave that is the 80s drum beat mm. um, it would be cool to have a, a software and who knows maybe mine even has the capability and I'm just daft but um, oh you are a punk yeah hey <laughs> um, it would be cool to have like a radio station where I just can talk and I don't because one of the limiting factors is once we're done here I have to edit all this and like clean up the noise like that fucking heater yeah I, I i did think about that at the beginning but i didn't want to talk about it right away because you know we had some good energy coming yeah and so if i didn't have to invest the energy to edit this i think that would be really cool to have like an online radio uh broadcast station something like that and i will probably eventually do that that'll be a, a part of my shtick I've uh, I've always been fascinated with um, like FM 
airwaves and um, old school TV analog airwaves of just like broadcasting something just you know to a very wide audience but you're just a broadcast like anybody can pick up the signal if they really wanted to they have to like tightly control that so much because like we can't just let anybody say anything it would be a fucking shit show i.e the internet but um i think it would be really cool if you could just like have a pirate television station and like tune into channel 69 for some fucked up shit you know what i mean like just kind of turn it into like a youtube channel but for you know, the retirees out in the RV park with no other option, you know, like, or like do it with an AM station or some shit for like, you know, somebody out in the boonies. It'd be so expensive to get the broadcasting software to make it like worthwhile because as of right now, I, I mean, can like imagine. I could with a, a little bit of finagling, I could make some sort of a, a broadcasting array and it would reach to like the end of the street. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's kind of like when you're a kid and you get those little things, uh, like those little, uh, walkie-talkies or something. yeah, it's like a, it's kind of like a walkie talkie, but you can like actually like cast a radio signal. And then like, I, I, I was obsessed with, with like tapes and tape recorders and stuff like that when I was a kid. Um, and this thing, you could like record things and play it and broadcast it to like an FM station like in the range yeah it was pretty much like you had to be in the room or in the room right next to like right next to the wall and it would reach but um you know i was a kid and i'm trying to play pranks on my sister like they'll think it's the radio dj and of course it's just like a child and they're like rolling their eyes but you know it those those things were those things are really fun and I'm kind of like want to do that on like a grander scale though. That'd like, be cool. I wonder if you could write something, some sort of like a like an app that if you had a so you know how certain phones can pick up radio stations like if you plug in your uh, headphones that acts as a antenna. Yeah, so I've seen that before. I wonder if you could have an app that if you got enough user base that it could broadcast the signal. Or maybe you could make it, like, not FM uh, or AM-based, maybe, like, something like Bluetooth. Yeah, the thing is, is if we were actually allowed to use the technology we already possess, and by allowed, I mean not charged for a very small access to... The feature set. The feature set of the technology that already exists in our phone, then, yeah, that would be, like, totally possible. Like, there's this app that I find really fascinating that... uh, takes a bunch of uh, phones on a on a certain Wi-Fi network and you can start to play music like a, uh, a song or whatever mm-hmm. and it detects like the location of everybody's phones in the room and it'll like coordinate them so that each phone is like playing a specific part of the song at different loudnesses so it creates a surround sound that's crazy of whatever you're playing and so, like, I've seen a video where people are doing this with, like, symphony orchestras, and it's just, you get this amazing sound out of phone speakers, but just because of the coordination and being able to cut through a lot of the noise and being like, okay, this phone senses that that phone is five feet away, and that one's six feet away, and that one's three feet away, so it's going to do, like, bass drum, and this one's going to do this and that, or whatever, you know, it's, it's fascinating, but it works in such a wild way, I'm like... Like really, that's how we should be. That's how we should be coordinating things. Is like having these shared networks and being able to like use combined computing power mm-hmm. um, 
all the time to solve problems. Yeah, or like you were saying, use the the full feature set. I think that there's like there's this notion that working with technology is scary and like working with a computer or something like that. And there's this uh, there's these personality traits or just behavior traits that I see in people that are like air quotes hackers or people that like built their own PC or something like that. Uh-huh. It it's just like removes the layer of stigma around it or barrier of entry behind dabbling and changing your technology. So many times like the average consumer just is like, this is how my laptop was sent to me. This is how my computer was sent to me. I can't change it. And, uh, and like, I'll see people that are like, oh, let me uh, immediately update my RAM. Because if you look at the options of a laptop, if you look at, yeah. like, higher RAM from the manufacturer, super expensive. You yeah. can, if you source your RAM independently yeah. and, like, just upgrade it, it's, like, way cheaper and just as effective. And yeah. but most consumers won't do that because they're like almost scared. They're like, not. They're they don't want to have to know what they're doing. I feel like that's a big uh, driver behind like the consumer uh, culture behind Apple products. Is it's like, look, you're the consumer. You don't need to know how the phone works. You just need to use the phone. And then when the phone breaks, you just buy another phone. That's how it works. You know what I mean? You can't get at the battery. Can't get to the memory card there's no uh there's no room for um experimentation there's no room for creativity at apple so um uh this episode not brought to you by apple um right yeah that's like the apple's tagline is it just works and i can just imagine that's their answer to anyone that says hey how do you do this or like how does it do this how does this function oh it just works yeah Don't they, they very much have the uh, aura of the wizard of oz mm-hmm. where you don't need to know what happens behind the curtain you just need to sing along the fucking sing song and walk down the fucking path right down to the apple store and buy your stuff so well a lot of places have that yeah apple is very much like that even tesla's like that they're like tesla's very much like that in fact and i'm calling it right now because elon musk is scared it's gonna happen and he's already commented on it publicly so i'm predicting it to happen here and now tesla (laughs) stock is going to crash tremendously soon Uh and it's going to kind of be funny for me because i have been calling this actually for a while but you know, it keeps growing and growing, and I'm just like, it's artificial. It's artificial. All of this value isn't real. Mm. And pretty soon, people are going to realize that. Mm. And it's going to be good for people, actually, because it's going to signify the beginning of cheaper electric cars for everybody. Which yeah. is going to be a turning point, I think, for getting done with using gasoline and petrol and all of those things on a you know, most people use them kind of scale. Yeah, uh, maybe that might happen. I have definitely noticed that. So, like my uh, my Robinhood account is uh, fuck. I wish I knew my uh, like Robinhood thing because all kinds of YouTubers are like, hey, check out Robinhood, get this free stock. You know, and if this was to be like a visual podcast anywhere, this is the point where yep, you see hey, it guys, right at the right bottom here. of the screen yeah. here. Everyone just check it out and plug it into your phone he's displaying the graphic those uh synesthesia boys at home they they got got it they're logging in right now 
But um, so I I love Robin Hood and I love like playing around with it just like purely to know stuff. It's almost like you're in on an inside joke sometimes because I'll be like like a lot of people probably wouldn't know that Tesla has been exploding. Right. And uh, my my portfolio governor is uh, I don't know where I was going for but um, is a lot of Tesla stock and it's great but also some Bitcoin and they seem like inversely related like uh, Tesla will blow up and Bitcoin will die and then Tesla will drop for like a few days and Bitcoin will be like I think it broke two grand or uh, 20 grand I mean uh, and I, uh, I was like, would you happen to know if Elon Musk has made uh, many comments about Bitcoin or if he, what his position on Bitcoin would be? Because that would be fascinating for me to learn. Yeah, what he cares about. But maybe I'm brainwashed, but I actually like I like Tesla. They they are super weird. Like, like, we're I like about. Tesla They're, the person, but go on. Oh, God, <laughs> they're very like close close guarding their hand if you may like with their technology and stuff like that sure but i do like them because of like what elon musk's intention is like the whole reason he started uh tesla really interesting story is like he needs to get to space what's a good way to do that is to make money what's a good way to do that is to make cars and even in that, like with making cars, starting with the incredibly expensive Roadster first. Oh boy, I'm I'm sorry if I just have to chuckle at this. Um, I I really uh, I'm not a huge fan of Elon Musk. I don't find him to be super credible as a human being. Um, yes, he's a wealthy man and a solid investor of money. But aside from that. I don't buy into this notion of his brilliance simply because a lot of it is just vibrato, you know? It's just him rattling a lot of cages and, you know, kind of riling people up, but I really don't think that, um, like I said, a lot of the value in his company is false. Like, a lot of what's been happening lately... Especially if you just look at like the last year, ever since the pandemic, a lot of what's been happening is it's just that bloat before a crash. If our government doesn't figure out how to deal with this uh, pandemic and how to get the economy actually working again, then it's everything is going to pop basically like like a balloon. So. Yeah, I mean, it, when you say everything with a capital E, I yeah, think like not, not just Tesla, like stock. the stock market. Yeah, and so like it, and yeah, I guess when I say Tesla's going to crash, like it comes with a little asterisk, as in like everything is going to crash. But the reason is is because of a lot of the value being overinflated as of late, and the market's going to correct itself. I'm not saying it's going to be the next, like, Great Depression, but, you know, everything is going to level off. Yeah, I think it could definitely happen, and I more than likely it will. I mean, like, to say that we're not going to experience another, like, crash is just you're delusional. Yeah. That's the way this economic system works. Uh And with that, I don't agree with what you're saying about uh, Elon because I think that um, I don't subscribe to the uh, that Elon is like the fucking messiah that he's great and infallible but 
I think that he is remarkable compared to the average individual. I mean, I think what what makes the average individual unremarkable? Lack of drive and vision and motivation. And really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, like honestly, it's like like the amount of steps. Like if you just look at actions, actions per minute. Like Elon Musk is fucking a crazy frenetic individual. And well, when you can afford it, it's a lot. It's a lot easier to do. Yeah, I think it definitely does increase. It's kind of like you're like, well, I want to get to space. How am I going to get to space? I need to make money. And like right there, like full stop. Because like, I just like we can't keep playing this game with all with all of the classes of the world, meaning the upper class, the proletariat. Like we can't, we can't keep playing this game of like, hey, um, please give us more. We've produced a lot more value. Like I think they say, like Americans on average produce like sixty eight dollars an hour of value. The average worker does, like just the average, like anybody, and the minimum wage, the federal minimum wage, is still seven dollars. Like, there's, there's a reason why people like Elon Musk have been afforded the luxury of being able to be visionaries. And that's because they are born into money. And even if you look at somebody like Jeff Bezos, who, you know, he says, oh, I started in a garage. Like, Bill Gates says he started in a garage, too. The thing they have in common is those garages were bought and paid for by their parents. When you don't give actually, you don't give people who are bright and very capable of being the visionaries who could very well change the world the opportunity to have an action in the first place that's when you get what we have now Mm. and it's kind of like you know you like i said we're playing the same games with this economic crash and then oh now we're making more money up oh, now it's all gone you know it's a it's a game man and we're not we're not even close to being able to win anything even if you make it out of even if you make it out of their game with some coin they're always the winner so a few things one yeah fuck yeah it's a game also it like another visual metaphor i think it's like someone that has fallen and they're like in the middle of falling and their only chance of not hitting the ground is to speed up. And they're like basically at an angle, just like covering more ground, slowly continuing falling in slow motion. So yeah, the whole thing, house of cards could fall over any moment. Debt-based economies are like that. But uh, I think there's this weird, unhealthy notion that, uh, that can grow around people that have uh, a lot of uh, a lot of money, a lot of um, what the hell, why am I drawing a blank on the word? Privilege. A lot of privilege. <laughs> and uh, I think, yes, absolutely. If everyone, if we were like a post-scarcity world uh, and uh, like everyone had access to everything, I think you would see so many way more. And uh, unfathomable amount of incredibly intelligent, capable, driven, actionable individuals. However, you're exactly right. We don't 
But and how much of scarcity is like you know really the action of natural processes, and how much of the scarcity is? I mean, there's there's videos of farmers throwing out potatoes and tomatoes and all sorts of crops all over the country whenever they're you know think they're gonna take a hit in the market. They destroy crops so that they don't take so much to market so that the price stabilizes. Like it like when you say post scarcity, I guess I wanna know if you mean like post artificial scarcity, because like there's always going to be like a material level of there's you know, a certain amount of finite material of X, Y, or Z. A lot of yeah, there is a lot of artificial scarcity. Uh and but I I think like the the degree of deviation from uh, genuine scarcity and that artificial scarcity is surprisingly thin. I think that when, when I say post-scarcity, I mean like there's just so much that it you wouldn't be able to contain it. So I'm talking about, yeah, post-artificial post-actual scarcity. Well, I mean, I, I post to you this. I mean, when you have grocery stores nationwide throwing out food into dumpsters on a daily basis mm-hmm. because they haven't sold... For money, is it really like that we can't feed everybody, or is it that we refuse to feed everybody? Yeah, uh, is I, it is? I mean, I guess what I'm saying is, are the problems that we have right now that the social societal problems that we have right now problems of a objective material design, or are they problems of organization and? internal mechanisms like I feel like I feel like a lot of the things that we do that we can see as obvious problems are things that if we like you know to borrow the phrase pull our heads out of our asses could take a step back and kind of see what's going on and just do what you need to do there are a lot of inefficiencies uh, let me let me cover that momentarily uh, the point I was trying to make though is that there's this Uh, negative and unhealthy notion that if someone is successful they're bad if someone is rich they're bad if uh, i think well okay so already it's kind of problematic because you've already equated successful to rich and Mm. i think that that's certainly no no, a matter of opinion you know those are two points two points i'm making is that like rich bad successful bad like if if there's someone that uh that has done a lot i think you might give me an example of someone that you don't think is bad but most individuals that are in the public eye that have accomplished a lot i'm curious if you would say that uh it's solely because of their position so mm-hmm. even going back to what i was saying with elon musk to the average person he's he's whatever i, I think he's miraculous even <laughs> to the average rich guy he's miraculous uh, kind of fumbled through that one, but like uh, a lot of rich people don't do anything. They're complacent and, or I mean, they, they like invest, they do a lot, but like compared to what they could do with that amount of resources, they are complacent. Sure. And so Elon Musk drop the, drop the, to the average individual, to the average, like to his peers, uh, which he's slowly getting out of that because he's making more and more wealth. Um, he's just a much more effective individual. Well, okay. And so let's break that down. Okay. Why that perception is that he's so much more effective and successful to his peers, I would 
absolutely argue is directly correlated to his stock price. And people would not feel that way if his company wasn't valued so highly. I Not me. Maybe a lot of people. Maybe a lot of people that I, have skin in that. And like I said, like his peers. And why, mm-hmm. when I say his peers, I mean other people with a B at the end of their net worth value. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, too, is just his meteoric rise in fame and power is something that, yeah, people... You know, are always going to look at a rising star and say, hey, that is something to look at, isn't it? But I think, too, that um, going back to when you're saying the vilification of people for being successful or rich, I think that it really kind of comes down to um, what one views as success and also what one's moral compass is. And I feel like. Oftentimes, personally, when I look to people in power, or I look to people who have the means to make changes, I see the same thing you do, complacency. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that necessarily makes somebody bad or evil person, but I feel like because of how where we exist and what we the system that we live in people who have wealth and right now it's at an incredibly unequal proportion ought to and should bear a proportionate level of responsibility for what happens in our society. And what I mean by that is when the average person makes more money and has more agency, they can then begin to take more responsibility and more action not just in their personal lives, but they're in, pol- in their political lives as well. And then they're more empowered to be making decisions on local, municipal levels, and so on and so forth. That's why, generally speaking, registered voters tend to be educated, and they tend to be better off financially. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said... You know, you got to call a spade a spade. When you see something and you know that it's not right, you have to be honest with yourself. You know, when I first learned about who Elon Musk was, you know, I kind of thought it was kind of a bit of a novelty. You know what I mean? I'm like, okay, this guy's kind of a fun story he's making electric cars and flamethrowers and you know it's kind of you know it's kind of a neat story and you know all of that um as i learned more about who he was it became very clear to me that you know his motivations were solely tied up in the economic sphere and not having anything to do with the advancement of mankind I came to the conclusion that 
his current empire wouldn't have been possible without literal blood money from emerald diamond and diamond mines that were owned by I don't know if it was his his parents or someone in his ancestry grandparent perhaps um, but a, a large part of the the source of his funding came from some pretty scrupulous ends and like personal funding now no like when he was you know when he was a young man like his family money was emerald money emerald mine money from south africa Hmm. and i mean i don't know if you're uh i mean i'm sure you know about the long political struggle that south africa has had for its independence and uh, its people being able to like fucking exist you know what i mean like apartheid existed until the late 80s so you know and that is that's the history where where his where his family money is coming from is from an emerald mine in the heart of an an unjust society and i think that you know i don't I don't like to blame people for the sins of their fathers, but I feel like he's taken a lot of the same spirit of profit at all costs. And the reason I say that is because of recent comments made about Bolivia and its political situation. As uh, as we've been made aware, Elon Musk is <laughs> completely unfiltered when it comes to tweets he will say what he wants when he wants to say it he fucking predicted his stock price would be at 420 dollars as a joke because 420 is the weed number lol he got in trouble got a slap on the wrist his stock price promptly went up much higher than that but this i mean this guy is just you know he doesn't really give a fuck about rules so i just i kind of I do see him as a, as a bit of a villain because there's just a lot of there's just a lot of things that that he won't be responsible for that he won't live up to like the, not just his comments on Bolivia but his comments to like the tie diver with with the the people that needed rescue and what do you say about Bolivia? Um, basically, um, somebody uh, mentioned uh, like in an offhand joke about like Bolivia's recent election. Um, basically, the people of Bolivia reaffirming the democratic will of the people and saying we want you know a local indigenous representative to represent our people because who we are. Um, when the first, uh, Evo Morales, uh, the, the president that was, um, basically exiled by a political coup backed by the United States. Um, once, once that had occurred and, uh, they had, uh, essentially forced Evo Morales out of his own country while he was still the president after he had won an election. Um, 
he, uh, Elon Musk, tweeted in response to somebody about how we'll coup whoever we want to coup or something to that effect. But, um, you know, it was pretty, you know, it's one of those things where, you, you know, you can really only take it at face value. Like, was he kidding? Probably. You know, he's probably joking around. But the thing is, is it's it's indicative of a level of callousness where does he really give a shit? Absolutely goddamn not. I don't think that he is going to be upset if the price of lithium goes down, no matter how it goes down. In fact, Tesla stock actually dropped after, took a little bit of a dip after that election happened. I don't know how they're doing now, but it, he's, he's basically, to me, just another leech from the capitalist class an extraction leech who does the same things that he was taught to do by the previous generation which is to make money at whatever human cost possible his own employees in his company he works to the bone and sells on this cult of personality like oh we're going to change the world and explore the stars but like you know if this is if that's the if that's the cost of it if it just means becoming a ruthless capitalist on your way to mars like is that really the planet that you you want to create like a whole new planet starting with that shit like i don't know first off that's fascinating about bolivia i need to look into that i haven't heard about that but um yeah so i just in the simple act of him basically shaking up the space industry making shit way cheaper uh making it way more effective just purely to take to seize the means of production almost he instead of it being parted out by to a thousand different companies and run through an inefficient government system uh he got everything in house as much as he absolutely could in house even even that stand alone that is Miraculous. That's way better than, once again, most of his peers would be able to do. And to address the other side, what is, I guess, what's more important? Like, what, what is, what would he have to do to be cool in your eyes? Like, uh, you even, you brought up uh, Bill Gates. He, uh, the Melinda Gates Foundation, that uh, donates so much money to uh, innumerable charities and that establishes public learning and like you you didn't bring that up whether out of lack of time or possibly out of uh self-prescribed blindness of like what no nothing at all like that i mean i feel like personally speaking it's a drop in the bucket and they should personally be ashamed of themselves if they think that the melinda and bill gates foundation does even anything to offset the sheer amount of value that they hold it's fucking preposterous like these billionaires have so much ability to change the fucking world and they're just meeting out these tiny little fucking breadcrumbs to people and acting like they're saving the world i would argue that in in a lot of cases yeah it's wealth is self-perpetuating uh, it, once you have a, a little, it's easier to get a little more, a little more, a little more. And so, yeah, absolutely, your parents make a huge impact. Well, it's not However, just that, but when you, have a, when you have so much. Yeah, when you have so much wealth. However, the accumulation of wealth is 
sometimes in like a very corrupt, broken system, it is a symbol of or a signal that you are effective at organizing and allocating resources, whether that's time, people, or actual physical resources. Like what do you mean by that? Basically, I'm saying that if Bill and Melinda, if their wealth was distributed, broken up into 10 parts and given to 10 individuals, I strongly doubt that the outcome would be more beneficial than them orchestrating the outcome of whatever whatever they're doing with their wealth. Whatever they choose to do with that wealth, I think that is more productive than that broken up and given to 10 random individuals. That's awfully authoritarian, don't you think? I, absolutely. Well, that, it, it is a darker realization. But what is what do you think is better? Where everyone's... Basically, at the end of the day, I think that humans are just like incredibly myopic, short-sighted, and not able to make long-term beneficial decisions. And yeah, there's a lot of horrible rich people, but there's a lot of horrible poor people. Well, dude, let me let me offer you this: is like when you say that most people are myopic, they can't think beyond you know like their short-term plans. When you talk to somebody who's in poverty, they don't make long-term plans because they can't like afford to. Like they could, they're like. A lot of times people are sick or they have some other things going on that kind of dictate their situation. But because it's in this money system, you know, we all, most of our people, you know, there's a lot of people who are just completely underinsured and like on the hook for so much money, which equals like their life and their livelihood. 100%. And I think there's some inherently evil uh, companies and even industries. However, yeah, and, and there's plenty also to give more credence. There's plenty of research done on the effects of stress on decision and like uh, strategy. Uh, that like once you have a degree of stress, you your decision making uh, skills, your pattern recognition is diminished by like twenty percent. And so, yeah, you can't plan for the future. Yeah, you want to buy this bag of chips instead of saving uh, a bag of chip every other day for uh, a month or so and getting, like, a huge pack uh, from Costco or Sam's Club or anything like that. Like, there, it increases the senses, the areas in your brain that are more sensitive to instant gratification. There are effects of stress, and oftentimes the, uh, a lot of stress comes from financial stress that uh, leads to just not the best decision-making practices. So, yes, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, like, most people that, like, to reducto ad absurdum your own concept, most people live way beyond their means. Like, they, they can... What does that mean, though? Like, people that make 60000 they can afford everything in their life, uh, and uh, they I'm don't... Okay, go, go. They don't invest the same percentage that Bill and Melinda would. Okay. Yeah, they are. Uh, they uh, donate it. I think I used the word invest. They sure. don't donate it. Most people don't donate it. All of a sudden, it's like, no, I make under a hundred thousand. Therefore, every even though it's their money that they have is uh, built on the same kind of weird uh, web of extortion that uh, the billionaires have. Uh, they they're like, I don't have to donate. 
I don't have to donate because I don't make, I don't have uh, an M after my bank account or a B. I think all of a sudden, as people get projected into this realm of the ultra rich, there's a degree of scrutiny that we wouldn't call on most of our peers, ourselves, or uh, anyone we know, anyone that's right. outside of that realm. Well, that's and for fair reason because there's, you know, there's an equal amount of power there. I think that the the issue I have with that philosophy is it seems like you're treating or viewing people that make a certain amount as a means to an end, not an end in, the, in themselves, that they are not individuals with agency that can make decisions. Instead, it almost sounds like they should be handed over to the state for the state to allocate their funds. No, not at all. I, one, there, there's literally a tipping point that happens where you you go from being a person who works for a living to being a person who lives off of other people's work. Well, even even Jeff Bezos, and I, I do not like Jeff Bezos. Uh, he's doing Blue or Blue Horizon or Virgin Horizon. He's he's doing some sort of like space endeavor. Sure. And with NASA, with even NASA back in like the the sixties, seventies, eighties, so much of our technology around us today stems from the space industry. So many of those advancements that every individual, even poor ass dudes, enjoy come from the space race and we will get more of that out of what's happening now uh with what's happening with elon what's happening with jeff bezos uh we're getting so much benefit that honestly do you think that if you were to take jeff bezos funds and break it into 10 parts and give it randomly to 10 people do you think that the same level of achievement would be uh, achieved well first off I don't think he's achieved anything that couldn't have been achieved without him mm-hmm. second off um, I wouldn't want to have that level of responsibility even in 10 pieces given to anybody at all period because it's just too fucking much mm-hmm. third Nothing is going to fundamentally change. Like, Jeff Bezos Part 2 is going to fucking happen next year. Like, Elon Musk Part 3 is going to happen again. Like, the next Warren Buffett's going to happen. This shit is just going to keep repeating itself until we do something different. Like, like, what I'm saying is we have economic policies propping up these industries and propping up these billionaires and I'm talking about like laws and legislation that enable them to make the kind of money that they make and there's also laws and things of that nature that keep us from being able to take home more of what we actually earn and also get to make the call on what the money that we do get taxed on gets spent and the reason behind that is because people have bought and sold our government several times over. Several times over from foreign governments to rich people in our own country. It's The list goes on and on. Like, if you wanted to just, like, find all of the corrupt politicians, all you'd have to do is go to a fucking, you know, uh, State of the Union address. And there they are. All of the corrupt politicians. So... 
they're in bed with each other, but the political class is markedly lower than the financial class. Make no mistake. Hmm. But... Yeah, political class, I do agree that it is the tool of the incredibly uh, rich. I think that it has lost its intended purpose, which I think that government should exist to correct for humanity's inherent myopathy. That we, uh, I think, I believe in an existing government body to plan and reallocate funds. But I also, I, I think the main issue that I have is, what's a rich person that you admire? That's a good question. The only good rich person's a dead rich person. I just don't, like, okay, like, the world has rewarded them with their value already. Like, I don't see the value in... Like, for example, like, you look at, like, Rockefeller, right? Like, I don't see him as being noteworthy. I see all of the people that he employed to extract these these resources from the earth as being the reason why those resources were available for sale. And you know what I mean? Like, he's, like, skimming the butter and the fat off the top of a giant machine that has nothing to do with what he's doing as an administrator, He's just sitting in his office and watching everybody do what needs to be done. Well, that goes back to oftentimes those people don't uh, like directly add value through necessarily like their blood, sweat, and tears, but they are they're like good data points in in a program. They allocate funds. Like yeah, they're they're people organizers. Uh, oftentimes, some uh, rich individuals did make it through blood, sweat, and tears, uh, even in their own company. I'm not even talking about rags to riches things, but um, like for instance, once again, I don't mean to like fucking suck his dick too hard, but uh, Elon Musk will Careful. spend like he might come. Oh god, yeah. <laughs> um, he will like stay at at the office working on a problem. Like he he sleeps at his office. All the time. Like, I, I love this part on a Joe Rogan podcast where he's like, uh, Joe Rogan's like, dude, you're amazing. Wouldn't it be great if, like, so many more people were like you? And he's like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hope that on them. Because for him, if there's a problem that needs to be fixed, he can't eat, he can't sleep. He yeah, can't. to me, that sounds like just indicative of psychological issues. Yeah, exa- and that brings you know, up another like, point about his tweets. I don't think that's a guy that's taking everything into consideration. Honestly, I think he's quite a bit on the spectrum. I think he has psychological issues which do lead to it. It's kind of like actors. Actors do amazing fucking shit. They like learn a language, learn how to ballet. They like learn so much stuff compressed into these short periods of time to get it into a feature film. And the average person couldn't do that. However, because of the degree of success, there's so much, like, hate towards actors. It's like, I, I, I could do so much better if I was in their position. And honestly, no. And even with well, actors... Well, I don't think it's... I, personally, I don't think it's, like, towards the profession, like, at all. I think it's class struggle in disguise. It's the lower class seeing the upper class and saying, fuck you, I want that. It's very simple, like, I, and I don't, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, jealousy is, like, good, but it's fucking human. Do you, you think know? it's warranted? I think it's, well, in particular, I think that it's 
specifically kind of unwarranted because they're really not the ones who are making the money you know hand over fist it's the producers and the like the the larger structure of like the studios and all of this other things and really the actors are artists they're getting compensated for what they do and oftentimes when artists get compensated like an absurd amount of money just like a football player or an athlete or anything else you get an absurd amount of money and people say oh this motherfucker all they do is play a sport or play a guitar i could do that like you know kind of like the actor thing but the reality is is you know they're very skilled at what they do they're at the the upper echelon of their skill but what people are really mad about is money and the fact that the lower classes tread upon and people are not living people can barely afford to live a, a healthy life a, a good healthy life and then they see you know somebody with a fucking golden toilet in their second Ooh. crib and you know something just you know a fuse bursts upstairs or something but yeah. you know i i really don't think that it's about you know the individual this played or, into my point actually you know. really well yeah. um so like uh, i get it a lot of like captains of industry if you may sure i get where you can derive a, a degree of like hate or just just bother bothersome vibes from them because you could argue you could say yeah absolutely it is exploitive even even if not at the surface not a layer down layer down layer down at some point it is someone's getting uh exploited and uh, well like yeah. in this yeah, anything international it's kind of like the, in, uh, the the only the successful one like to be successful you must exploit yeah, well, so hear me out. It's kind of like in The Good Place. I don't know if you ever saw that. Love that show. Um, but they're like, no one's going to heaven. Why? And they're like looking into it and like they look into the metaphysics of any action. And with a globalized world, if you buy flowers for someone, you think it's a good deed. It's actually a really bad deed. If you look at all environmentally, like, environment, someone being right. like, someone. Yeah, certain. So I get it. I, I get that at some point you can say, I don't admire any rich person that's a captain of industry. However, the, the the it's all about money people in sports that plays into my point that people make horrible fucking decisions it is us who no one's getting exploited for fucking uh, football players to make millions upon millions of dollars well they kind year. of get exploited I mean if you think about it yeah I yeah. mean look at the uh, just the NFL for example you have practice squad players making you know teacher salaries or plumber salaries if they're you know like third string backup dudes or whatever and then you've got um the next level who they might make you know a few million or whatever in their career and then you've got the people who make like multi-millions of dollars like with the first signing of their first contract and so like that's i think it's inequality it's not you know it's not anything more than that yeah, but and we might be we are sensitive to inequality, uh, but we we put that there. We're well, the if fit. it's put there, could it just also not be put there? I I don't know. You that, know? That's human behavior. The, these networks made it available. We chose. We're sure. the ones that allocated it. And but but uh, you know, I'd also argue like expounding on networks as a theme. Like, what are the financial networks and a lot of the old world as it were of finance like is so irrelevant anymore with the internet age like how long do you think it's going to be before 
some cryptocurrency and probably it's going to be Bitcoin surges in value in the midst of an economic dep- depression or down, you know, downward spiral. Like people are going to find an alternative way to live their lives the way they need to live them if the rules of this game are rigged. Honestly, I, I think you're giving people way more credit. Uh, I, I think it could happen, and uh, crazier things have happened throughout history, but uh, you're exactly right. Like, uh, with certain networks, they're, they're outdated. Like, there's YouTubers that, like, collectively will make so much money that in the, in the 70s, you would need a skyscraper to manage that much uh, interaction. You would need so many people, but now all of a sudden that wealth is being split between two individuals. Because that network just applies, uh, it has the leverage to right. get you, it. You get a lot more work done with a lot less. Yeah, and power. so yeah, networks way of the past. But um, to give you an example of like just the frustration of working with people, uh, I watched this YouTube video that this guy <laughs> cracked me up. He, he's great. Um, he made a video, invested tons of hours, uh, basically just talking about the. Uh, the growth of these individual semi-autonomous regions in Switzerland Uh and how each one they're like uh, I think they're called like cantons Uh and they elected not to have a capital with all centralized uh, every branch of the government like there's one area that will like you, you need to have a physical location to have like just people meet and have build legislation yeah. so that's in one area and then uh, you have a huge court uh, in a different area another huge court in a different area so like stuff is spread apart in Switzerland fascinating country super cool dude invested so many hours and got an amount of views and then he made uh, a video of 10 minutes of useless information and just talked about just factoids just and different had things. way more views millions of views so many views and he made a video talking about that like he's like that's I invest so much time so much effort into making these like just incredibly quality bits he I don't think he said incredibly quality that's what I'm saying I right, think they're yeah. great and he's like because of that I'm gonna do another uh, 10 minutes of useless information and just the this guy at this age killed this guy in a duel and that just uh, went yes. on for 10 minutes and so yes, capitalism breeds innovation yeah well I think that's an example of like at the end of the day we're fucking monkeys dude we just want that instant gratification and that's just the game we've set up for ourselves that's because the way we gratify ourselves with money as a reward system is fucking broken because our psychology has evolved beyond it it's like it's like um it's you know it's like getting yourself into a state of like you know like before the hunt like getting into a state of mania like money and like managing money and everything about it is it's like you go into survival mode and you start to think like oh well, this is for me this is mine you know protectionary of it and you know i just well i can't remember who said it but uh they said that as your social circle grows you treat it more like anarcho-capitalist more libertarian like uh, you and your spouse, you and your direct family, it's very, like, communist. It's very socialistic. Like, everyone spreads the money, everyone trades it for work, all kind of stuff. As that grows, that changes. But, uh, no, honestly, I, like, I think money is a great version of, uh, 
distributing wealth or like embodying well, the energy. Well, don't get me wrong. Like having like a currency isn't the problem. Like it's not. Are you like, talking about like the banking industry or? Yeah, I mean it's it's specifically it's specifically the way that that these giant institutions are formulated to control everyone's financial life essentially yeah i agree so that's some of the industry that i think is evil and like i'm not saying like go burn all your dollar bills and go live you know by the river i'm just saying like like money if if money saves you like no it's not gonna save everybody because it can't there's just like there's just not enough room for everyone to be successful like that you know what I mean? For every for every duper, there's a hundred dupees. You know what I mean? For everybody selling something, they have to have that many more times of the people buying it for them to be successful. Do you think that's unnatural? I tend not to use the word unnatural because I feel like everything that happens even like the most radical artificial intelligence is going to be like the course of the natural world so i don't see it's growing pains okay like we do things we learn we do better things we learn we do better things you know so i don't think that like i think it's just time to grow again you know what i mean yeah, definitely. I think that a lot of issues like loneliness and uh, it, even as interpersonal as loneliness to the, the failures of the, the centralized banking system uh, stem from the fact that we have fucking caveman brains that evolved to handle caveman world. And yet that we've built this world uh, of layers of, of uh, facade and we now have to navigate this 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 degree of complexity that we were never made for but the reason wow. I asked about is it natural is I'm trying to get to your what I perceive as like like a hatred for the rich well it's not a hatred it's 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 a love for the poor is what it is is it's a love for the people of the world and not just you know personal glory or you know security or whatever else like our lives are finite you know we're not here very long you know like even just trying to remember years past you know it's like time flies by so whatever impact you're gonna have that affects you is all fine and dandy but like that's just the beginning and you know there's there's a lot more that comes after that I think that a layer of uh, equality on the level that you want it at would take such a heavy handed approach of reallocating money that uh that it would strip away most agency from the people that would be able to do something beneficial with that money. Well, money is just value. As we've seen, people's value comes and goes. There's so many people who have been bankrupted through this fucking pandemic and so many people who have lost their jobs and got on unemployment. There's entire businesses that have gone bankrupt and shuttered their doors and fired all of their employees. 
I think that it's way more common for people to fail than it is to succeed. Uh, yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. There's like one way for things to work and so many ways for things not to work. Absolutely. So I think there is a directionality to success. Yeah, we need to open up those doors a little bit and allow for success to come in more forms. Yeah, I, I, I do agree. I agree with a lot of what you're saying, just not the like negative energy towards towards the rich and successful or the rich and successful financially successful is what I'm going to use for this instance well when you benefit from a a system that has thrust you into an almost king like position and you have the I mean how anybody in that position can say that they came there because of themselves like they're a self-made person the level of ego that must exist there is so just mind-blowing that it's like like i i just i don't even know how a person like that like what kind of thoughts they have on a daily basis you know how like what how do you value other people you know like what is this what does this world mean to you but you know yeah, yeah, I mean, to kill that right off, I, uh, yeah, I don't think anyone's self-made. Uh, so many people have had so many mentors, uh, and our, our huge contributor is simply luck. I mean, it, anybody, everyone alive today has such a level of foundational knowledge that makes it preposterous to think that anybody has done anything of their own merit alone. Like, just the level of language, mathematics, art, culture, music, all of these things that, you know, we enjoy on a daily basis. Like, that's the foundation that we already exist on. I wouldn't say everyone alive. Well, that we exist on. Yeah, in our world. The world that we know, but, you know, everyone's experience can be different. Just depending on where you are, who you are, when you are. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I, I think so. I think the root of my issue with it is that, like, a lot of rich people have done so many bad things. But it's almost kind of like, um, like when I coach. When I coach another agent, I always start with, what did they do right? And, like, uh, kind of like earlier when I asked, what's a rich person you admire? I think, like, I... What caught my attention is the fact that you didn't acknowledge any kind of like benefit or any any kind of positive thing. Because I don't necessarily see. Okay, I'll put it to you this way, right? If you had a giant machine, mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter what the machine does, it just it works and it produces value. Is any one of the parts inside of the machine more valuable than the other if they all have to work for the machine to work? If every part, if each part is unique and each part needs to function for the whole to work, then no. So what I'm getting at is somebody in an administrative position, yeah, they do deserve to be compensated for their work, absolutely. But 
I simply don't see it as equitable for somebody who is managing not just the operational aspects of an organization, but the financial elements as well, to come away from an accord with their own employees and workers with a pile this high and their pile this high. Yeah, I mean, that gets into, like, stock buybacks when they were introduced in whatever the hell year it was. Which goes back to billionaires bribing the political class to change the rules to make it more easy for them to recover their lost assets. Yeah, and I agree. There's a lot of CEOs, horrible, horrible, shitty people. Like I was saying, yeah, Elon Musk, compared to his peers, has is fucking amazing. Great, great dude compared to a lot of his peers that are those same CEOs that do nothing except buy another house. And basically, it sounds like, listening to you, it sounds like that no no rich person has gotten there by themselves, uh, which is true, I believe. Uh, and then, but also that they're not, there's not like a good rich person. And on the flip side, it almost seems like you're saying like, there are no bad poor people. No, I that's, think... that's, that is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is... Well, definitely not. Because, I mean, there's... I mean, like I said, when you look at, like, proportionality to somebody with very little... You know, a rich man is somebody with something. Mm-hmm. To a rich man, somebody with something. A very rich person is somebody with a lot of something, right? And so, like, it just... It's... It's... <laughs> When I say rich, it's not like, you know, a person with a nice house or a nice car or who takes care of their family or is well off or can afford to send their children to college. It's people who have such an exorbitant amount of money that they couldn't possibly spend it all if they knew how to. They can only further invest it into things that they think is going to make more money, which is just creates a bigger fucking bubble, bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. So I think a lot of the reason why the government is as corrupt as possible, it's it's uh, Oberos or whatever you want to call it, that uh, the snake eating its tail, uh, is because there's incredibly rich people. That's part of the reason why the government is deeply inefficient. Uh, but our government... Uh, mind you, yeah. is deeply inefficient. But at the same time, there's it exists th- this weird duality where the only people that can shake up the deep inefficiencies of the government are the ultra-rich. But that's not true. That isn't true. Because we've seen political pressure applied by the people mm. in a lot of different ways to achieve political means at various times. Look at the women's suffrage movement or the civil rights movement. Mm. Um, I mean, if you want to take something contemporary, you have the decriminalization of drugs in Oregon or the legalization of recreational marijuana in Washington and California and Colorado, etc. So, no, like, political action can be taken by the people and political means... uh, I mean, political ends can be achieved... By, um, by means other than money. You're right. And let me correct myself. Uh, I think that uh, there's a lot that the people can do, but it falls back on the incredibly flawed people. 
because those things are very, very visible. Okay. It is what we interact with on a daily basis. So those things are getting moved. Okay. Stuff like the space industry. Once again, I don't mean to bring it back to that. Uh-huh. Uh, that no one gives a shit, but that is where a lot of our money is going to. Now, yeah, we need something to definitely shake up the military industrial complex. That is a huge sink on our capability. And I absolutely wish it would. Uh, but once again, people's inherent myopathy uh no one that that's like too far out of the the realm of what you see every day what you interact with like the uh, uh dakota pipeline the um xl uh, where was the location keystone no i don't think it was keystone but the native american tribe uh, confronted those guys and they had that huge standoff a surprisingly little amount of people a lot of people would say it's surprising a lot of people knew about it but a surprising little amount of people did anything about it because they don't come face to face with it every day we the things that very much matter we need to be shaken to care about we need to absolutely be held down our us personally need to be held down but Individually, we're so goddamn fucking selfish that there are more self-made poor-ass people because of horrible decisions, and yet the the simple hatred of a system that they're poor, yet they're not going to starve to death. Uh, there is a fallback system in place. But, yeah, it, it just seems like a, a loss uh, out of touch with cause and effect. And and the full picture of things, and a warped sense of what justice is. Like a lot of people don't care about what CEOs do. Like they they, they have the I hate that kind of mentality, but they like don't do anything. And I I hate myself for being all of these little things. But it, it's it's a flaw in what the majority of people do, and the the way the majority of people think. Well. What would be your prescription? Now that is the real question. Honestly, that gets into a restructuring of the government, restructuring what cinema is. Uh, it gets into a lot of heavy-handed approaches in certain areas, um, but we need a, a cultural shift. We need to completely redesign the incentives. For you... It's, it's more achievable or desirable to have a cultural revolution than a political one. Uh, I think uh, cultural, yeah, because uh, I think cultural will lead to political. And that's one of the few things that I agree with, with some of the anarcho-capitalist friends that I have. Uh, and the point they fucking love making is uh, that, like, uh, child labor had fallen out of vogue by the time it was put into legislation. So it, we definitely need a cultural shift, uh, cultural change. How to bring that about, I don't know. Um, well, that just goes to show, you know, it just follows... Legislation follows public opinion and it follows pressure, whether that pressure is from above or below. Because the political class in this country, as we know, is wedged right in the middle. They're the, they're the conduit of, of what 
industry wants to get done and how they try and sell it to us is like with that pipeline that you're telling us about like they knew that this shit was coming down the line for years like they they these people who made this pipeline possible this had been a long-term plan so when you say it's like nobody cared nobody did anything like no that's not true there was some the first off, media didn't fucking cover it. Like they they made sure to mention it, but they absolutely didn't cover the fucking magnitude of people protesting, linking hands in the freezing cold Dakota weather, um, getting sprayed with fucking water from a fire hose. By the way, in like twenty degree weather out in the middle of windy plains and shit. So like. No, I don't buy it. I just feel like the machine, the fucking wheels of the machine keep turning and they'll churn people up in the cogs if they need to to keep it fucking lubricated. And I agree. I've thought that in the past that the poor are like oil. They, it's dispendable. It goes into the machine. Um, but so I, I was being a little vague earlier about when you asked how I'd fix it uh, because if we can get into this, but if it looks like it's going to go long-term, let's uh, wrap it up and save it for the next one. But, I think that, and I felt this a lot, is that uh, it feels like it's fucking amateur hour. It seems like barely anyone's trying, and people, like, don't keep uh, a plan, or they don't follow through. People aren't, like, people of their words. Uh, hmm. There and I, I think that's a generational thing. I don't mean to fucking channel my grandpa, but I think it's a generational thing of like having helicopter parents that will be there for you to make sure that a plan follows falls all the way through. Or uh, wow, uh, that a plan goes all the way through, not fall through. Hmm. And um, with that, I think almost kind of like what I was talking about with uh, people that are. Uh, enthusiasts on computers that they have a, a fearlessness of working with computers and electronics and therefore have more capabilities I think a lot of people in our generation are not enthusiasts on the intricacies of how like the, the world we live in is structured we're like we're concerned about a lot of things we don't know how a lot of things work and that isn't necessarily a fault of our own until we get to a certain age. I think that the biggest contributing thing to my success is that I developed some degree of self-awareness. And at that point, I was like, holy shit, I am stuck in these huge predetermined patterns. And I need to get out of as many as I can. And I am in so many more that are beyond my comprehension. However, I was able to develop that I need to rise above this. I need to look around and be an active hero in my own life. I need to have agency and make decisions and not be swept around by the river. And that has to be like absolutely like a systematic thing. Like let's just like pushing the F5 button on your life, right? Like without taking that approach on a consistent level, you know, you end up in the same place. Yeah, I wouldn't have been able to take the spots that occupy almost like a periodic table. It was like fucking static. I wouldn't have been able to change the spots that are, if you were to look at my periodic table of values and say, what is success? That would have been something given to me by my uh, parents. Like, join the military, go to college, 
uh, that was about it. <laughs> and so if I were to follow that, I would have gone to college, which I did, and uh, had a degree that I don't really use, which I do. I have a random-ass degree. I'm going back to college now that I identified a passion and getting a degree that I will uh, utilize, actually. not Because at this point, I'm going back to school for myself. It's something right. that's not to appease parents. And thank God I didn't join the military. And I, side note, I, I love that. the people that serve, serve for a lot of great reasons, not for me. And I think that uh, I would never in this political statement. That's my little disclosure. But uh, yeah, I, I think so many people don't, I guess that's a really good way to sum it up is they're not life enthusiasts. They don't, they don't know what amount of change they can do. And so if I were to, if you were to ask, you're in charge of everything. How will you make this? How will you improve it? You've identified the the root of it. How will you improve it? Basically, it would start with like how to change what most people are stuck in anyway. Uh, the fundamental years, them being a child, them learning in school, and I would change the way school is taught. Where like in a lot of countries, I know we talked about it on another podcast. A lot of countries don't give like individual, slowly. Uh, segmented projects they give one big project build a computer uh, by the end of this semester build a computer cool let me know if you need any help let me know if you need any tutoring they figured out how to handle large projects I think so many times people everyone around me seems to be on the edge of being overwhelmed but they're not a salt miner and I think we've yeah. we've built in our mind that like handling too many things is overwhelming well i mean i will say this much the united states of america and americans in particular are some of the most psychologically manipulated people to have ever existed on the face of the the earth like from all angles and starting with you know madison avenue and magazines and commercials and movies and just there's this thick lacquer of cultural baggage that Americans carry with them that a lot of the rest of the world does not have yeah and I do agree to an extent I don't think it's coherently like brainwashed I, I don't think there's no one it's I, that's like do certainly this. i don't I, i'm definitely not like oh yeah the cia is behind this uh, mk ultra thing where they're gonna you know boys they're gonna they're gonna put lsd into the into the drinking water supply and uh, then they're gonna tell us all when when it's time to pull the trigger no, no, nothing like that. Kennedy. No, it's it's more of like a just a like a saying like a lacquering, like a, a thin layer of one after the other of just psychological suggestion and manipulation to the point where people are so numb to their own inner voice, and it's kind of sad. Yeah, I've joked around with people that, uh, uh, hey, let me turn on the TV and figure out what I think today, something like that. And, yeah, and this goes back to the school thing. Like, there's been so many buzzwords of teach kids uh, how to think, not what to think. That is honestly it. We need to teach people to actively hunt out this information, actively find this information, and also uh, teach people the amount of power they have. But that is counterproductive, and I also don't mean to say the lizard people control all of our action, but that's counterproductive to a stable system, is to teach people how much power they have. 
Why do you say that? And well, I mean, it's not in the best interest of a uh, corrupt government to teach people how much power they have, because they can be destabilized very easily. Okay. But um, at the same time, I think that. Uh, uh, kind of like my fundamental philosophy of why I even do this even like small things my fundamental philosophy for why I write and do podcasts and do this is well one communication we all need to get better at communicating because the strength is in each other I think so much once again not a master plan it just happens to be this way right. so much isolates us and as isolated uh, we we can accomplish less we need to learn how to communicate, learn how to resolve conflict, and we need to learn how to work together. So that's a huge portion of why I do a lot of the creative outlets I do, is it's centered on communication. Mm -hmm. The other thing is way simpler. Just create more than you consume. I think that's... If, if the solution or one of the biggest solutions to how we can get out of this hole is to be an active hero in your life... Uh, to create more than you consume is one of the best seed activities to get to that point. Okay, so my question then becomes, is having a specific career detrimental to that aim? And would it be better for people to have a more um, closed ecosystem, if you will, of like... You know, I farm my own food, I produce my own energy, I tend my own stock and live my own life in my own area or whatever. I think that would like be... Like an isolation kind of thing. Yeah, more focus on community. I think there's a way that that can be accomplished without the isolation that, uh, like, I farm, I farm my own stuff. Like, the, the... Because... Because I guess what I'm saying is, like, what people do with their careers and in, in these days is like you know you go to your work or whatever for eight hours a day and then you come home like i feel like for people to have a more complete life i guess it's you know it's only reasonable to think that one would have more time to be more time and more resources to be able to set that up for oneself I think that uh, correct me if I'm wrong but what I am hearing you is that people need to be more self-sufficient and be more connected to what they do be more connected to what they make I, I feel like a lot of that is very achievable yeah yeah it's, so it's super you know it, it it just comes down to do you have the time to do it and do you have enough resources to devote to doing it? I think that would be a great exercise to, to begin or uh, another huge stepping stone in personal development is to attempt that. People, people really struggle with the perspective that life is fucking long. Do that for five years fucking it will be fine people that always like i don't have enough time i'm like go in the woods and meditate for three hours three hours is barely anything in a day but it will feel yeah. so long just get a baseline of how long life is it's like have you ever taken a nap before like just just take the time to take a nap you yeah. know what i mean like I don't know. I feel like, yeah, like time specifically, I, I really try to approach life like a kid in the sense that I really don't like believe that I'm going to die. 
Like, almost, you know what I mean? Like, I know it's going to happen, but I don't believe it. You know what I mean? I think that, uh, I think it was Nietzsche that had, uh, like, a cool thought experiment that see your life as endless, that it's like a loop, and then that way you decide, uh, I want to do this. I want to learn the piano. You don't think, I have five years, five more good years. I don't think I should learn the piano right now. It wouldn't be worth it. Yeah, So I, I like that approach. Yeah, I feel like spontaneousness is key to life. You need to do what you feel. You know what I mean? Somewhat. I do think that there's a, a lot to be said for planning. The, the oh, future... yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing, too. Is like if something is important enough, you know what I mean? Mm. If that feeling goes deep enough, you're going to be scheming and plotting and making your mm. shit happen any way that you possibly can. Yeah, or kind of like the law of attraction. I think like the, the reason for the secret, like why it's successful, at least enough where people believe in it, is that it just makes you more open to opportunities. You're like, sure. oh, hey, that's in line with what I want to do down the road. Well, it puts you in a mentality of saying yes to your own ideas instead of Ooh, I like that. saying no to yourself. You and know? Actually, that gets to another point of what I'd change is, uh, yeah, people have so much doubt. And people are super cynical. Like, even with yes. this, even with these creative projects, people are like, why do a podcast? Why would anyone care? I'm like... Uh, really? Is that something that's been talked about? Yeah. Like from friends? Yeah. So, well, uh, uh, I'll, I'll talk about it after this. Okay. I'll, yeah. I'll spew the shade. But um, yeah, and I even told this individual, I was like, uh, it's a double-edged sword, dude, but life is, uh, life will suck you dry for everything you have. And mm. that often, so many times people uh, leave, come to the edge of their life or even edge of their day. Uh, just feeling that life took so much more than they took from it. But the benefit is if you make it, life, reality will suck you dry. It, it will take it. It will, uh, whatever you produce, it will consume it. So. Oh, yeah. I feel like life in and of itself is, it's like, it's a thirst or a hunger, right? And so, like, what I try and think about it is like a Rube Goldberg machine. It's like, how can I just set up the most intricate thing to get lots of stuff going on and lots of action and involvement and shit so that time passes and all of this happens. Like, it's... It's like, is it any more meaningful? I don't know. But, you know, I think it's... What the fuck? You lost me on that one. <laughs> you know, to... You know, to try and overcomplicate things. You know what I mean? To think outside the box. Mm. Or to care about things even beyond your control, you know? That that's good or bad. Or a thing we do. I don't know. I mean, it's a thing I do. I don't know if it's good or bad, necessarily, but... You know. Yeah, well, I mean, that vaguely gets into what I was saying earlier about romanticism. Mm-hmm. It's like, we just... We make that. We make that whole system. We make it more complicated than it needs to be. Oh, yeah. Well, because of all of the things that are baked in to you know, our being besides just the the logical processes of the brain. You know, you have, like, your emotions and your, you know, your fears and your desires and all of that other things that are, you know, in, in, intertwined with, you know, all of your decision-making. Yeah. Yeah, well, so, um, and that's part of what makes us great. It's almost like selective pressures. Micro-tangent, I was thinking about, um, I was thinking about AI, and I was talking to a friend, and they're like, "Yeah, but uh, for us to make true AI, uh, we would need 
like it would be so hard to have it useful because to it, it would just develop in in a way that's completely unlike ours and uh, with that uh, who knows what their goal would be would their goal be to help us with process shit who fucking knows and probably not and I was like what if we in order to make AI productive we programmed into them because we probably wouldn't be able to program outcome we could program like initial conditions what if we programmed into AI that a sense of fulfillment one Anita's sense of fulfillment and two it was super fucking fleeting and then that would like that would self-organize into productive AI and uh, yeah I fucking love that what if we were AI yeah I often like already like we already are AI well, I mean, this gets a little philosophical, but what is AI? What's well, artificial? Well, and that's kind of... I mean, I guess one could say, look at the difference between human beings and the animal kingdom. You know, some, like, that's a pretty marked difference between, you know, organic beings that, you know, one might examine in a certain way and say, oh, this is very similar, this chimpanzee and this human being. And then you examine them in another way, and you're just like, oh, God, like these human beings are doing things that are like far beyond what these chimpanzees are doing. I think at any moment, it, to judge something effectively, you need the full picture, and the full picture is fourth dimensional. It's time. You need to know what's happening. So, yeah, if you took a snapshot between humans and chimpanzees, you would always come to that conclusion. Look how similar they are. You need that the full picture, that fourth dimension, to say, oh my God, they're way different. So, right. Are you saying that is how to determine the difference between AI and I? No, not necessarily. I'm just saying that, well, basically that AI and I would, uh, for all intents and purposes, be indistinguishable. Like, for it to truly be artificial intelligence, there would be, like, almost no way to tell. Dude, this is actually working super well for that same metaphor, except maybe time. Because AI would, I think, like, the benefit of AI is it wouldn't be short-sighted. Well, I don't think it's necessarily short-sightedness, but rather um, mortality. Um, human beings are programmed to be short-sighted because we are short-lived. Yeah. And that's just part of how it is. It's why, like, it's odd to, like, take a human creature and, as a child, be like, all right, time to take you and just throw you into this, like, stream of consciousness in all of, of all of human history where now it's time to learn all of these fucking things that you need to know now. Whereas, like, physiologically, like you mentioned before, we're not very much different from caveman brain. Mm. Like... Like, we understand things, we learn things, and you know, but, like, we don't come out of the womb with it. Some people are, you know, born incredibly talented, and they can, you know, learn at a, such a rate that it's just, like, you know. I think that gets into AI, or, uh, Jesus Christ, I'm just, I have buzzwords floating around in my head. Uh, IQ. <laughs> um, checks teleprompter. Shit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wrong line, guys, sorry. Um, no, that gets into IQ. I think, like, that's why people care about IQ is because it's good pattern recognition but that's not the like good measurement of success uh, I think um, I think those are the kids that are like born that are good at learning or well I guess the root of it uh, good at pattern recognition but the people that are successful or good at learning on a larger scale are people that are engaged people that care 
if you can get people to give a shit, wow, that is, that's huge. I think that's one of the pivotal moments in my life is where I realized that I could teach people things, that I, I could present information. It's something that doesn't, uh, something that's very rigid and presents information like a school system, uh, a lot of different programs, um, that I can absorb that and I can share with some someone the same thing that they experienced through a, a school program, but in a way that they understand it, that changed my life. And I realized that that was something that that knowledge had a larger purpose other than just memorizing factoids, oh, yeah. other than getting tested on it. Yeah. And so with that, boom, I fucking... I, I mean, I don't mean to break my hand jerking myself off, but I know a lot of shit. I know a lot of shit, like, more than the average person I see around me. But uh, it's because I care. It's not... I, I God knows what my IQ is. Sometimes I'm pretty uh, silly, and I think it's probably low. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, I just give a shit, dude. Yeah. it's It's hard to say. I think, like... Like when we measure, you know, the the way that we measure intelligence, the way that we measure success, so much of what we do is just so subjective and so, like, very much based upon, like, outcomes we wish to happen yeah, and, and not necessarily, like, reality. Well, it gets into the whole thing of, like, people want this narrative. We fetishize this narrative of a self-made man. And it's so much about luck. If they're what... Let's say we were, like, gods, and we could test for luck. We're like, this kid scores high in luck. And he's, like, picking his nose and eating it. Then we're like, oh, shit, that guy, he's going to be a self-made man. Something like that. Right. It's like, it could be any one of us, but it's booger guy. Yeah. and But instead, we fetishize this idea that, like that it's initial conditions that we fully the decisions we make right here have an impact so in conclusion that's why i care about iq yeah well and for me that's why i quit mensa yeah (laughs) were you really in mensa no i'm just okay bunch of arrogant pricks man (laughs) yeah fuck those guys but uh they're all into Star Wars. Star Wars. Can you believe that? What a bunch of nerds. Not yeah. Star Trek. Yeah. Live long and prosper, please. Oh, God. So, real fast, wanted to uh, wrap up with some interesting things I was thinking about. But, like, how humans have words that represent, like, feelings or concepts. Mm-hmm. I think throughout history, and hopefully this doesn't spark a longer conversation because we got to wrap this shit up. But, um, <laughs> I think that throughout time, people are, like to the masses words like for instance there was a time where uh fucking Marilyn Monroe uh embodied attraction she embodied sexuality and so I think that's why sometimes people get these like a boost to their narrative uh that may not be deserved or uh or fully appropriate like elon musk he like gets this this he had this meteoric rise as the term you used earlier i believe and it's because he represents uh to a lot of people this innovation this this kind of element that isn't him but we've applied it to it. We've well, people, yeah, people use love to use totems, and they love to use scapegoats. That's how human beings operate, and that's why people need leadership. 
Like mm-hmm. it's, it's. I think it's really important for there to be leaders, and for there to be people to say, "This is something we ought to do." Mm-hmm. Someone that has a, a degree of the plan. Uh, well, several everyone. someones. You know what I mean? Like, like leadership as a as a personality trait embodied in many people. You yeah. know. Yeah. But uh, yeah, at the end of the day, uh, everyone everyone needs a plan. And I was talking to one of my friends that. Uh, he was talking about like like male attraction and like what what's hot what do people like and <laughs> i'm like at the end of the day uh every, everyone needs a plan and people see a plan and they like it they appreciate it i think that's like one of the most attractive things is someone that has an idea of what they're trying to achieve and uh yeah so do you Dude, holy shit! the The beginning of this was cool. I loved like kind of riffing, and riffing, and uh, just like talking about stuff. I liked it. The tail end, like the second half, that yeah. was bomb. I like that. That was meaty. Nice. Um, did you have anything that you wanted to kind of put in before we wrap up? Huh. Well, I usually wrap up before I put in, but oh, let's uh, <laughs> let's. Uh, let me ask you, what what is your plan? My long-term plan? What is your plan? At this point, I don't have an endgame. However, I, I think that it's super important to take a look at yourself and say, what am I good at? What is something that I can do to help people? And instead of blindly, I just want to help people. And I think that I'm good at organizing things and good at communicating and so with that I think it would be great to facilitate communication with either the people in power with other people or with really heady concepts with other people Mm -hmm. Uh, for instance I, I think that scientists there's a lot of scientists way smarter than Mizukaku am I saying that wrong but uh, that I like won't even, I won't even try. But <laughs> that dude that looks like uh, Asian uh, Einstein. See, that's what I love about podcasts is I can edit that gap and I'll be like, the guy that looks like Einstein. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no. you could even cut that whole thing and just put the part where you're just like the guy who looks like Einstein just so very smoothly. I mean, I cut that out. Yeah, this whole part, yeah. like me talking right now. Hey, Tyler, say, hey, uh, audience, guess what? You're not gonna hear this. Or you might. There's something beautiful about that. You should say, uh, I hate olives and I love Jews. What? <laughs> I just edit I, what you I, say. I'm going to, yeah, I'm just going to say I love olives and Jews. Oh, there you go. <laughs> They're fucking awesome. But, um,. So, uh, yeah, oh, yeah, anyway, so I think there's a lot of scientists way smarter than Mizukaku, but not as good at communicating. Or, like, Neil deGrasse Tyson, sometimes that dude annoys the shit out of me. Uh, but he's, Yeah, he gets a little pretentious. Yeah, and he interrupts like a motherfucker. Like, on Joe Rogan, I screamed. But uh, he's good at communicating. He, he's good, he has a good voice. And, like, a lot of these aspects just make people, like, it's easier to define things. Like, we probably, dude that added so much to the, the uh, pop psyche uh, was Carl Sagan. Sure. And Carl Sagan was part poet. 
Yeah. And I, I think that that is a big reason why, you know, communication. Like you said, when you're communicating big ideas, you got to reach people how they understand. Yeah. Like, like with Neil deGrasse Tyson, he might know a lot of things and he might have a big... Um, you know, a big platform, but I really don't think he does a good job in that realm of communicating big ideas to people who might not understand. I think he does an all right job, and he also has like a, once again, you could call it pretentious, but a way of like delivering ideas where it seems like, oh, wow. It's like taking, a, have you ever taken an advanced class and the teacher's just like, oh, and if you didn't learn this in that other class, I'm not going to go over it because you should already know this because we're in this class now. Mm. That's the vibe I get from Tyson. And it's just like, dude, like, understand that you have a huge platform and acting like this is, I mean, it's not going to further you know, further what you're trying to do, I don't think. Somewhat. So I think that a huge thing uh, that I've been trying to develop in my writing is to trust my audience to be... <laughs> Your cat's just tearing the shit out of that. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's having fun. But uh, to trust the audience to know what you're know what you're trying to convey. Like, I used to be super heavy-handed with, like, and then he did this. And remember how that one time a while back he did this? Kind of like a flashback halfway through a book. And uh, it, it's like a, it's like a YouTube video where they you know they kind of go over the same things and kind of over and over again. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's like a lack of trust, and, and I hate that in like Mission Impossible movies. It's like, and then do you remember when he touched that? I'm like, yes, dude. I I am watching a movie. I have an attention span. Like they have the bad guy talking like this, so you know that. He's the bad guy. Yeah. And so at the end of the day, Neil deGrasse, he's he's interesting. He's an interesting fellow. I think he makes some missteps. But at the same time, I do... I think it'd be cool if he had uh, different shows or different, uh, like, episodes or uh, talks where he does go over, like, fundamentals. But I do appreciate that oftentimes he trusts uh, his audience uh, and does get pretty heavy-handed with certain things. Now, it depends on who he's talking to. Like, if Joe Rogan was like, huh? And the, and he didn't go back over it? Right. Yeah, that'd be fucking super shit. Well, and that's why I say, like, okay, it's different when he's, like, giving a presentation, you know, during an episode of Cosmos or something versus when he's on Twitter and there's, like you know millions of people who like get a notification of well this is what he has to say and you know i don't know yeah and then those people just regurgitate it without knowing yeah and they don't really know they don't understand how he understands yeah and you know not to say that that's always a bad thing necessarily but you know but as a part of my plan i think that uh uh, I came up with this saying a while ago that what separates the geniuses from the crazy people is action. I think that if you just have this crazy good idea and you don't do anything with it, you're crazy. And so for me, that's my that's my goal. And as a part of my plan to achieve it, I don't have all, all of the details worked out. I don't have the end result. But uh, my next step and part of my key, part of the... 
uh, element of my philosophy is to stay fucking busy. And I, that's what I'm going to school for organizational psychology. Uh-huh. Is to get the skills or also to pander to some of our own uh, inherent shortcomings, which is that humans are obsessed with gatekeeping. And so even if I had some amazing ideas, it, without a degree... Uh, or rather, with a degree, it would probably reach more people than without a degree. That Just that simple thing. And because people are so obsessed with gatekeeping. They're like, who the hell are you? They, it's yeah. like a crazy person could... Uh, crazy dude on a subway, homeless guy, could give you great advice and you'd be like, fuck off, dude. Or a lot of people would. And uh, in actuality, like if you just sat there and thought about it, it might be super sound advice. Well, to that I would counter with a, with a tiny bit of cynicism and take it with a grain of salt because I'm kind of slightly kidding. But you, know, you mentioned Joe Rogan earlier. I mean... He interviews people of the likes of, like, Alex Jones. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, when it comes to, like, wanting to, like, be professional and seem professional to achieve a wider audience or to gain credibility, my argument would be that credibility maybe isn't as important as it used to be. Yeah, or maybe that's not his end goal. I think that he's just people-watching, basically. Like, a really in-depth people-watcher. People are fascinating. It's crazy that you have a completely different perspective on reality uh and like dna wise dna wise between us and a uh, some sort of a primate super similar that percentage that's different that means a lot that's the difference from sure. like just being bipedal and fucking flying a helicopter and so you and i have slight differences in the way we just understand reality and it's fascinating that like the outcome is we're we can work, we can go to work, we can communicate, we can talk, but completely different form of reality. Alex Jones, he can work, he makes money, he can, he functions as an indi- individual, but super weirdo. Uh, and like, it, it would be interesting. It, I don't think you could say that it wouldn't be interesting to talk to Alex Jones. I think it would be more interesting to observe him without his knowledge for 24 hours. Like, I truly would like to know if he believes half of the shit that he says or if it's just, like, a big act. Oh, I, yeah, I, I personally think it's an act. I mean, like, that's kind of how I feel. Like, he's, like, the histrionics are kind of absurd at times. But, I, you know, I'm like, who are you for real, though? Like, that's what's interesting to me. I'm like, so when you, like, take off the makeup or, you, you know... And, the director says cut and the lights turn down and you're sitting there at your desk or like who are you you know what i mean that's what's interesting to me about a person like that because it seems like there's just like a lot of um hypocrisy and contradiction and confusion and anger talking about people that just want profits yeah yeah and so uh, it's kind of you know I mean, it's, it's fascinating from, like, a human drama perspective or, like, a psychological perspective. And it's also horrifying from a, this guy exists in real life kind of ex- perspective. And people pay attention to him. And yeah. people give, take him seriously and give him credibility. And that's why, I, you know, I almost, you know, a little sarcastically say that credibility is one of those things that's, like kind of gone by the wayside and it's really fucked up for me to see because when I was a kid I always you know scientists and doctors like they, they, those were the heroes those are the people who are like like discovering things and learning stuff and you know saving people's lives and 
changing the way that we see the world. And, you know, I feel like... Yeah, that's like Trump. Trump says certifiably straight bullshit. Yeah, I feel like it's like... You see... You see this just... Ignoring of reality. This... This burying your head of the sand. But then also, like... Just mad disrespect to people who have spent their lives... Hmm. Like, think about, like, how infuriating it would be to be Dr. Fauci. Yeah. On a daily basis when you're when you're begging people to listen to you. And, so, and, and you, you're like, I, I've studied this my entire life. Yeah. Please fucking wear a mask. And then you still have people out there who's like, well, the science say that... Da, da, da. Like I was saying about communicating. <sighs> yeah. Trump is a good communicator. And... It, as a failing uh, being a human sometimes we value simple communication we need to be like spoon fed information yeah and we value simple communication more so than the expertise well I think that it's because of the um, the barrier of language and translation like it's like kind of like how like if you were to read actual legislation, you'd be like, what the fuck is this? You'd need, like, an actual, like, legalese so translator yeah. to, like, get actual text out of it. So much jargon. Someday I actually want... I, I think I'm really fucking good at bullshit, and, like, I just want to... Um, what's the term? Uh, filibuster on here. Oh, my God. Uh, There's, there is a um, an AI bot that can translate legalese to plain English and vice versa. You gotta send me that. That sounds yeah, hilarious. Yeah, there's, yeah, I'll send, I'll link you that. Pull it up, Jamie. Yeah, right? <laughs> so, uh, you were talking to the cat. Oh, my Pull God. Pull it up. He's oh, looking come on, for Rory, it. Pull it up. <laughs> yeah, he likes to play with the mail. He's a very, very fun cat. Oh, my God. He, he'll make a toy out of anything. So, um, Last thing, and then we, we gotta wrap this shit up. Um, I had this interesting concept where what if there was a device that could peer through time? And, uh, and it, let's say, like, the 100 years were, like, regulated. No one could peer into 100 years. Um, but past that, we could, like, see what ancient Rome looked like. We could see what it looks like. That'd be cool, right? What if we could see everything? How intimate would it get? would it have to get before it's creepy like what if we saw every intimate Roman uh, moment of a Roman Roman moment uh, <laughs> and uh, just like like loss uh, or or love or someone taking a dump well I think that that's like um, you know I think that evokes to me like the deep philosophical question of like you know when you're consuming media versus like living your life it's like what do you you know what does your mind believe that you're doing you uh-huh. know so like I, I don't know I don't know how I would um Cat are you serious? Yeah he's he's doing his best. He is for sure serious. Um I don't know what. Um, Where am I? Who am I? What's going on? <laughs> More or less. No. Um. What? Yeah. What is? What is going on? What? What was the last question? It was basically just a thought experiment. Like, how intimately would we have to view the past oh. for it to be considered creepy? Um. 
I don't know. I feel like to the point where you lose your identity, I suppose. Like, if you needed to look to the past for a reason, you could look to the past. But, like, once you, like, what the present is only so long. Like, if you're spending so much time, like, viewing the past. Like, say, for example, like, it's it's almost like a like a magical wizarding type of seeing like a like a seeing scope like a telescope right spend enough time viewing into the past by the time you pull your eye off it you're going to be an old man and ready to die right i think you took that in a different way let me put it this way let's say it was the history channel you're watching a special on the history channel they just debuted this new technology that could peer into the past yes you're watching it and it's like the Roman centurions go to the field to uh, find themselves enough clay to build a, a sphere that they then use to shock putt and it, like you're just whatever that's cool yeah. and then it like shows the footage and like one goes around a corner and like pisses and like like how how intimate would the show have to be for you to think that the producers are like crossing a line well I mean like Basically, you just have to like ask the question like, is this necessary? Like, you know, I feel like if they're just like, when you get some viewers and show somebody pissing, mm-hmm. then it's just like, come on, dude. Like, this is like, yes, this happened, but like, mm-hmm. is it like relevant? Is it you know relevant at all to why you're explaining this to us? Mm-hmm. You know, just like whenever they do archaeological discoveries you know there's so much more information for them to glean besides just whatever um they found whether it's like bones or you know some sort of remains or manuscripts or artifacts or whatever else like there's so much more information that they can glean than what's apparent right away so or what they publish yeah, so, so yeah, I think, like, for for them to cross a line, it's, like, it just doesn't take much. I mean, honestly, there's, the argument's been made that, you know, Anne Frank's diary being published into a book is crossing a line. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I was just thinking that. Do we have a birthright to all the knowledge that has passed before us just because this is our forefathers? Well, I would say that yes, but I would say that there has to be, like, at least some sort of statute of limitations where it's just like, all right, you're not going to go rifling through a living person's diary, but if they, you know, died, it doesn't really matter. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't know. I feel like there's there's at least, like, some... There's some differentiation that can be made, you know, amongst people yeah. to determine what would be appropriate. Yeah, we would have to come to some sort of consensus. I think that would just take like uh an exercise of empathy like putting ourselves in those shoes like sure what am i uncomfortable of seeing because i think most people initially uh, like the one of the arguments i was thinking of is like a lot of times these historical beings we like we put on this huge pedestal like what about uh marcus aurelius like honestly not full frontal but i i like what if he did piss? What if I saw him piss? That would change what I view about Marcus Aurelius, just ever so slightly. Just the the pure unequivocal just knowledge that him we all doing piss something undignified. Yeah. Well, I you know, and that's just like or like spitting, and it gets like caught on his chin, and he like 
smears this loogie. Like, I mean, it's, it's the gross, sa- it's but it's the like... same thing of, like, uh, celebrity culture. We just have, like, this, um, you know, this built-in kind of, like, desire to want to elevate people onto pedestals and to use them as scapegoats at the same time. Yeah, well, there's also a desire to tear everyone down, uh, especially nowadays. What if there was, like, Temple of Apollo Gate and, like, just people finding trash on, like, historical figures and, like, eh, this guy wasn't great. I hate him. Well, This person, this guy was horrible. I hate well, him. Well, that's, like, there's always ebb to that flow. There's always going to be Growth, and then there's going to be the pruning back of that which is dead and unnecessary. Yeah, I I dig it, but at least with our minds now, or at least with our mass emotional maturity, we would not benefit from tearing everyone down in history. I think that if we were to uh, grow our empathy and uh, emotional maturity, at that point we would be able to benefit uh, from tearing just about anyone down. Because we would understand our own just deep, dumbass nature of every individual, ourselves included, and our heroes. We would we would not lose ourselves in killing our heroes. Mm, yeah, I mean, like, I think you find yourself in killing your heroes. I don't think that role models are healthy. I think you have to be reborn. Yeah. I... Love you. I love you. Yep. I'm gonna <laughs> cut that out too. No. <laughs> but uh edit it. Man, at this point uh, anything anything last I hate to cut this short because I honestly I love talking with you. I knew something like this was gonna happen. But um did you have any kind of last minute old one twos to the conversation? Man, um you know, I guess, um, yeah, if I, if I could say anything to the listeners out there in the world, I would say take Mr. Kenton's advice and just do something. Go and be active in the world. Be the change that you wish to see because it's not... Nobody is going to do anything for you, but you can always convince somebody to help you. Yeah, or like, oftentimes people will do stuff for you, but there's more things that will not be done by themselves. Oh yeah, no, like, yeah, I mean, you know, setting up, setting up yourself for success, and then pushing that first domino and just letting it go, like don't be afraid to push lots of dominoes and set up lots of shit and just you know be like the little kid and just build shit and just take it down and just build explore. it again and learn what you're capable of oh yeah yeah flex on the world wick whack ginger flack all right man well tyler thank you for joining me you're welcome thank you kenton for having me in your in your virtual audio world i'm going to uh leave my ghost here in this recording and my living spirit will continue on 
Yeah, I wish you'd leave a little bit of your living spirit in here. Sometimes it gets lonely editing these bad boys. Oh, I I could li- I could leave some living spirit. Um, Ew. but just it's you. What? I'm not kidding. What? What? It's it's uh it's a corn whiskey. Oh my god! Oh nice. <laughs> Took that a totally different direction. Well, in that case, uh, it's been great. And uh, good night and good luck.